As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to the first edition of the Standard Room Only Podcast in 2024. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standick. I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. Happy New Year to everyone out there from me and from uh, Lenny, who is here uh, in charge of quality control. Uh, get me off to a good start. Hope everybody had a safe and happy New Year. Obviously, the football team, from a win and loss perspective, did not help the cause. But from a draft order perspective, it was a uh, happy night indeed for Commanders fans as Washington is now in position to get the number two overall pick. If they lose to Dallas in week 18, they can be no worse than the number four pick and possibly get the second pick. Right now, they have a little bit of a lead over the New England Patriots when it comes to the strength of schedule. Uh, the Arizona Cardinals also have the same 4-12 and record, but it is between Washington and New England for the second pick. And it is wild that we are here, but hey, we've all been living through this season. We know kind of how we got here um, to discuss what happened. I guess where we are kind of now um, with the pick, with expectations for what could happen moving forward and a little bit about the game as well, which included a Sam Howe start after we didn't think Sam Howe would be starting uh, Michael Phillips from our, you know, our guy from Richmond. He is. The host, 10 to noon on 910 The Fan. He's also doing some work for the Washington Times. Always a fun chat talking to Michael, and we spoke yesterday at FedEx Field. Uh, so we'll get to that in a moment. In addition, I want to talk everybody through the new article I have up on The Athletic today. GM candidates for the commanders. Uh, I've spent a lot of time over the last few weeks talking to people around the league um, I, I, I try to get my best feel for the marketplace, and I'll talk to you about w- some of the names and what it means for the commanders in a moment, because uh, it's that t- we're, we're one week away from Dan Snyder no longer owns the team, and there will be ramifications for, you know, things that he, you know, that, that happen under his watch beyond the next week, but in essence... The Josh Harris era truly begins, for real, for real, for real, 
come Monday when we're expecting a lot of changes, probably the end of Ron Rivera after four years. So it's, you know, it's about as clean of a slate as you can get. And the, the clean slate includes all their cap space, draft picks, etc. So we'll get to all that in a moment here on the Standard Room Only podcast, which, of course, you can find on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you do your podcasting. Um, also, look, uh, I'm going to put this up today. So if you listen to it on January 1st, today is the last day for our uh, holiday sale, a dollar a month for one year. I never tell anybody how to spend their money, but I, I do think The Athletic, independent of me, but hopefully including me, if you're listening to this podcast, it is an incredible uh, deal when you consider you get the entire arsenal of our reporters reporting every sport. Uh, obviously, David Aldridge in town with me. Uh, he was He's got an article up as well on uh, things that went down yesterday regarding the quarterbacks. Uh, up on the athletic shams the insider of uh nba insiders on the site ken rosenthal for baseball our pal Roli does a great job covering baseball uh red cats of course we used to be the wizards covers the knicks i'm basically just repeating everybody who's ever uh been on my podcast or is my friend uh these and, and many other people are, are worth it so if you have if you're interested you know i would suggest take a look at it kickoff 2024 by getting a deeper dive into sports with the athletic. All right, let's get to Washington. As I said, uh, Phillips and I went through uh, some of the some of the details of the game. You know, talk about Sam Howe and et cetera. And look, I don't really even know if there's that much to discuss about the game. It, it's a. Um, I think I've said to you guys that. For me as a reporter, and I think I speak for a lot of the other reporters as well, it's been a very weird ride to the end of the season here because normally um you know, like we like in twenty nineteen, there's there's some similarities between this year and twenty nineteen. Um for sure. And Jay Gruden started that off year 0 and five was fired, and then Bill Callahan was the interim. That was, we knew the season was over, but the real intrigue was what now? Because Dan Snyder was still here and there was, we were still ways away from thinking it could even conceivable that he would look to sell the team or we didn't know to the degree that the investigations would come. But what was going to happen with Bruce Allen? Was that going to change? There was still like that sort of palace intrigue. Don't think there's been that here for this year. You know, you can pick your point on the schedule when you saw this thing was over. Maybe it was from the jump that, you know, going to his fourth year with a new owner expected to come in that this was not one way or the other, there would be changes here. You could have said week five when that humiliating loss to the bears at home, um, you could have picked it when they lost to Tommy DeVito. Uh, you know, with, with that game where the Washington was a, you know, the, the playoffs were already seen, seemed to be a little bit out of reach, but you know, they were seven point home favorite against the giants team that was starting a quarterback. that at that point, was not a folk hero in the tri-state area. Uh, but for me, right about that point, immediately followed up by the loss of Thanksgiving uh, on Thanksgiving to Dallas. This season really uh, went south. But the problem was it was still weeks and weeks away before we got to the end where things would change. And so you could, you know, you could see what was, you could see what was coming up on the horizon, but you had to wait to get there. There really wasn't much to do because 
look, job interviews can't start for GMs until January 8th. For coaches, a couple weeks later. Um, I know the Harris group has been doing their di- their due diligence, as they have throughout the year, gathering information, you know, trying to learn about the league, the team, the process, all the, uh, no pun intended, I don't mean the NBA, pro- the, the process with the Sixers, but just how the NFL world works and, and trying to get an idea of what their options are perhaps out there. And we're now here. We're now here with one week to go. We can we, we we can almost touch it, and you know, not uh, it's not fun to speak ill of people who are going to potentially lose their jobs, but I'm just you know, this is the reality, and this is what we're here to discuss. So, I want to get into the story I have up today. I had another, I had a story up on Friday, if you missed that, about what the league is starting to learn about Josh Harris and and what the plan is for Washington. Um, think of it sort of as like the introduction to the story that I have up today, diving into the view that everybody's kind of aware of his analytics, but they're curious to what degree. Um, well, the one big hire Josh Harris has made so far has been for Eugene Shen, VP of football strategy, basically kind of running the analytics department, what it or you know, what it is now. What you know, what is his role in in all this? Is he a sign of what's to come, an analytic analytics hiring onslaught, or is he going to be the main person? And if so, what does that mean for the potential hires that are coming down the line, et cetera, et cetera? Um, I'm not suggesting that Eugene Chen is this is the fulcrum for whatever's going to happen. I'm just saying that was like one of the types of topics, along with just you know, will there be a president of football operations? Um, is there a chance it's it's still another coach centric model? What if they really really like one of these coaches and that's the deal that that person is willing to take? These are a lot of the questions that are out there, but so far so good. Josh Harris has been making a good impression on people from what I gather. Again, the bar is low if we're just comparing him to the last guy, but I don't think that's what we're talking about here. When I hear people tell me they've enjoyed or appreciated meeting Harris and and, and found. Um, you know, initial interactions to be uh, interesting and and uh, and pleasant and 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 so on. Um, they're not going to hire. Black Monday is when typically coaches get fired. So if Rivera is gone officially on that day, I can't tell you that they're going to have somebody in place the next day. I would highly doubt it. I would imagine they're going to take some time to interview as many people as they can formally before making a decision, even if they think they know who some of their candidates are officially. So what I wanted to do right now is kind of go through some of the names that are on inside the story. I have about 12 uh, profiles, many profiles written up on some of these people, including um, insight gathered from talking to sources, not even just recently, but over the last you know year or so. Um, trying to get a feel, as you know, with my agent survey, a lot of the questions have to do with front office people, get their feel for who's good, um, you know, and if so, why, who are who are some people to watch, et cetera. So a couple of things here. So we'll start at the top. And if you look at the, I, I wouldn't say that the list of about 12 names, and there's a couple others in the others category. Um, I wouldn't say that they're ranked in any particular order. Other than probably the two names at the top, and that's Ian, ah, sorry, Adam Peters, assistant GM for the 49ers, Ian Cunningham, assistant GM for the Chicago Bears, 
they seem to be, if you look around on anybody's kind of list, they seem to be the two names at the top. And I think with, with good reason. Uh, now, before I go into this again, I'm not definitively saying Washington is they, they would view this list the same way. You know, they could in talking to people, I could probably have had a list of 25 names or so that, that could be on here justifiably, uh, but you know, can't can't live can't live life like that. Just throw a blanket over everything. So try to narrow it down. And Washington could have a different list, but I do believe that some of these names for sure are in on Washington's radar. And I would expect them to interview with some of these people, assuming that the interviewee is open to that. So I mentioned Adam Peters. He is typically the one that everybody is uh, views as the number one candidate who is not currently a general manager. He has been with the New England Patriots. He was with the Denver Broncos when Denver won the Super Bowl with Peyton Manning. He's been in San Francisco since uh, 2017. And since 2019, they have just been a real dominant uh, force. Obviously, they made one Super Bowl, been to other NFC Championship games. Um, when I did my agent survey going into this year, Peters was named in several categories. He was named... Uh, let me hold it. He was named, he, he was one of the voter among the league's top talent evaluators. Typically, when I ask that question, I leave it open, but typically people are naming the general managers. He's one of the few that um, received m- multiple votes for that category. He tied with a couple other people, uh, Kai Harley with New Orleans and Noah Nolan Teasley with Seattle for future GMs to watch. Uh, a quote here from one of the agents quote I think that if you're a team looking this year to put it bluntly you would be dumb to look anywhere else I think he's the best in the business the agent continued good bad or ugly Adam does it the right way he treats people with compassion even when it's a bad situation he's always honest you know where you stand I'm surprised he has not gotten a general manager job to this point already Um, actually already is not there I just added that um, Adam Peters was at the game yesterday with San Francisco. I physically saw him with my own eyes. I did not see him in at any point chatting with Josh Harris, but it's reasonable to think that maybe they could have bumped into each other, you know, in the, in the hallways at FedEx field, you know, or on the field. I know Peters uh, was down there. I don't know if, uh, and Harris was around, but I don't know if they, if they interacted and I doubt they would in such a public way, regardless uh, uh, Peters, beyond whatever people skills I just mentioned, you know, he is considered to be the town of the main town evaluator for the 49ers. Basically, they've got it their own coach centric scenario. Kyle Shanahan is the one running the show. You have John Lynch. He's been just promoted to the president of football ops. But he uh, he is not the main town evaluator. And that is Peters, who gets a lot of credit when I speak with people about the t- the Niners' uh, talent level, and, I'm, you know, they are pretty stacked, uh, you know, across the board. You know, uh, I don't have to go through all the names. You know them, but, you know, Trent Williams, Nick Bosa, Debo Samuel, they find Brock Purdy, the last pick in the 2022 draft, et cetera. So he gets a lot of credit for what has gone on there. Um, so my sense is, like, th- there's always this question of, just because somebody's an assistant, does that mean that they have the goods to take over the main job? Well, the question really is, how much is that assistant doing? Are they, you know, 
heavily involved or are they clearly more of a bit player? Important one, perhaps, but a bit player. I, my feel is that Adam Peters is very involved. And as I said, I believe he's the one driving their talent evaluations. Kyle Shanahan may say, hey, we want to do this, this, or this. But it's Peters who's executing the plan when it comes to the draft in particular. Uh, the question, the other question with, with regarding Peters is, is he going to be open to taking a job? Forget just Washington, any job. Uh, and people I spoke with are not positive about that. Now, he's, uh, I think he's in his late 40s, I want to say. So, you know, he's got plenty of time. But, uh, you know, he's also obviously in a tremendous situation. The Niners, you know, the, they just clinched the one seed in the NFC against Washington. I would think with the way the Eagles are kind of falling apart and the way, you know, Dallas has been, you know, still a bit erratic of late, that the Niners are the clear favorite in the NFC to get to, get to the Super Bowl. And they're looking like a team that's set to go for some time. So he's in a really good spot. He is also from the Northern California area. He's from, I believe, Cupertino, which is right by where the team plays in Santa Clara. So he is lit. He's working at home. And Washington isn't anywhere near his home. Uh, neither is New England. In case he wanted to go there, should Bill Belichick uh, be given, uh, you know, be, be gone. So. We'll see. You know, he's in a position where it feels like he can wait for the perfect job. Is Washington that? You know, again, 90 million in cap space, nine draft picks, five in the first 100 selections, including right now something, a pick that can be no worse than four, could be number two. Um, a pretty blank slate with the roster. That's obviously not great in the sense that that helps explain why they're in position to have the second pick. But you're not, you know, for a new executive, you're really not encumbered by much. So I think it's going to be a fairly attractive situation there. You do need a quarterback, but you'll be in position to draft one if that's what you want to do. Again, I don't know that he will definitely be available. I don't know that for sure for any of these people. I mean, some of them definitely, you know, uh, Peters has turned down interviews before. Uh, We'll get to Ian Cunningham in a minute, but he's turned down the Arizona Cardinals job last year, and he declined to go deep into the conversations with the Titans for their GM job. Ed Ed Dodds with the Colts has taken interviews. He's also turned down interviews. So, you know, it is not a guarantee just because it's it's available that they're going to do it. Often it's because they're in a good spot or they just don't want to go to the organization. And, you know, there's no question Washington still has some obstacles. Namely, I would say the stadium and the facilities. The stadium um, is not good. We know this. It's not going to be replaced for some time. The facilities maybe gets replaced sooner, but also – you know, outdated relative to the league. So those are some of the obstacles. And, you know, we also still don't 100% know how Harris is going to operate, but based on how he's operated with the 76ers, um, he wants to know what's going on, but he doesn't need to be particularly hands-on. So, and, I, I, you know, I believe, I would imagine he'll be willing to spend what's necessary, uh, but we'll have to see. Obviously, the $6.05 billion purchase, quite a bit of money. There's a stadium to build. So there is a, a lot in play on his plate, uh, his financial plate at least, uh, as well. But look, I think Peters would be the number one guy on almost any list. I would imagine. Well, I've heard Washington has shown some, you know, some interest, which would be obviously highly logical. Whether it's reciprocal, that's among the things that we need to sort out. Um, again, he got an up close look at the stadium yesterday, and no doubt he was unimpressed. But hopefully, he or any candidate would understand if Josh Harris, you know. It's going to take a minute to get that fixed. And, you know, 
it would it would be a bummer for Harris to possibly lose out on somebody for something he literally can't control. But that's just the nature of where things are at. Um, all right, let's go to Ian Cunningham. He is the assistant GM for the Bears. Now you might be thinking, dude, I know the Bears have become like hot since they ever since they got Montez Sweat, and we saw how they throttled Washington and. You know, Justin Fields looks like he's doing better and they've got the number one overall pick. But like, wait a minute, why why would anybody look at the Bears for front office help? Well, Cunningham has been with the Bears for two years. It's what happened prior to that, which is particularly of note. Prior to that, he was uh, one of the disciples of Howie Roseman in Philadelphia. He also previously worked with the Ravens uh, as a scout. Uh, you know, more so than the individual names of these people, what I think is interesting is the organizations. You know, for far too long, Washington has been trying, I, by that I mean mostly like the Dan Snyder, Bruce Allen errors, but to some degree, the current one as well, that they tried to show how smart they were relative to the rest of the league. And look, I think you can't, you know, you can't just follow what everybody else is doing. You have to stand out on your own whether that's with evaluations or structure or process or whatever. But at the same time, you've got to be functional. You've got to be logical in your approach. And Philadelphia has been, you know, one of the better organizations. The Ravens have been the pinnacle of this for, you know, two decades, basically. Uh, And the Cleveland Browns are starting to get some attention for what they've done this year, putting together a roster and, and, and a, uh, organization that's been so strong that they've on their fourth quarterback and Joe Flacco and are still making the playoffs. And there's a couple other teams, I think that are, that have some good structure that I could see teams looking at trying to emulate or poaching people. We'll get to those in a little bit, but the fact that Cunningham came from the Eagles and the Ravens and look, it's not all about resume, but it is about being around learning from people who know what they're doing and then showing that you can implement that and understand it and how to fuse that with your own ideas. And I, from what I gather, this is why people are interested in Cunningham, why the Cardinals offered him their GM job last year that he turned down, why the Titans wanted to interview him, um, why when I wrote in my story about uh, the Accelerator program meeting at the NFL owners meetings a couple weeks ago, the Accelerator program is for, ha- for underrepresented groups, minorities, women, uh, primarily to... Uh, meet with NFL owners and and, uh, people of power that they may not ordinarily meet. And when I wrote that Cunningham was basically the big name there, I had multiple people tell me, yes, you have that correct. So I I think he is somebody that is going to be very much in demand. um, And I would imagine he's got some, that the interest goes both ways, I would think. Now, he, he worked in Baltimore with Eugene Shen. My sense is that it wasn't just like they happened to be in the same company at the same time, that they were, there was some connection. I'm not saying they were braiding their hairs or braiding each other's hair or anything. I'm just saying, you know, there's something, uh, something to that point. So we'll, we'll see. Maybe that means something, uh, you know, Cunningham certainly has connections around the league. Other jobs will be attractive. You know, the, the, the Chargers offer living in Southern California and Justin Herbert, the Carolina Panthers, as miserable as that situation is and only getting worse with the owner apparently throwing drinks on um, on fans. But he's also got a lot of money in deep pockets and likely 
will be throwing a lot of money around this year in order to try to fix the problem, um, as Dan Snyder did at times here. So, I, you know, I, I think Cunningham's ability to fuse the talent of his talent evaluator skills as well as his uh, feel for analytics as the Ravens and Eagles organizations do well, I think is going to be a really attractive uh, piece. For what it's worth, just from a bio perspective, he grew up in uh, Virginia, sort of around the uh, the Richmond area, I believe. His second cousin, you've heard of him, tennis legend and social activist Arthur Ashe, who is a famous uh, native of Richmond. I believe Cunningham even may have lived in the D.C. area for a couple of years because his father was a sports agent at ProServe based in the area. So I believe he lived up here as well um, and I, I think could have some ties to uh, the organization's history just from being around here. So I, I think that's another one to to keep your eye on, not just because of the he would be on any list, but because I think there's some interesting connections here that uh, you know should be looked at a little bit more closely. Now, I mentioned the analytics uh, piece with Josh Harris. Shan alone is already assigned that it's going to be, the department's going to be beefed up, and I would imagine they'll bring in other, you know, worker, if I say worker bees, I'm not dismissing them, but other people to help do various aspects of that, um, of, of that job and how that job can help this team in terms of trends, uh, player analysis, and, and so on. But to go for a really harder dive at that, it would be hiring somebody in the GM role for the job. And I think the name that really stands out is Alec Hallaby, assistant GM with the Eagles. Now, the Eagles by themselves have several candidates that could be in play. Again, people who are currently in on staff as well as people who have moved on elsewhere. Uh, Brandon Brown, the assistant GM for the Giants is another name uh, that has come up. Uh, Catherine Raish in Cleveland, assistant GM on the op side, was with the Eagles. Her name has come up. So they could be a lot of people. But in terms of right now, Hallaby, uh, as the assistant GM, he attended the Sloan Conference, the, the Sloan Sports Conference, which, of course, is put on by Daryl Morey, GM and uh, president of ops for the 76ers, Josh Harris's NBA team. You know, anytime, anytime you see somebody has been at that event, you got to imagine that Daryl Morey has a feel for that person and therefore has talked to Josh Harris um, about that person. Hallaby is a, is, a, is a young guy. I think he's like around 42, but he has been uh, with the Eagles essentially since I think 2007 as a 20 year old intern. He is uh, the Eagles are an organization that it really embraces and, and did so as early as anybody. It seems like an early adapter to the analytics world and with Harris being from or not, he's not from there, he's from here. But I mean, with Harris spending time up in that Philly area because of the Sixers, I have to imagine they've either crossed paths or he's just aware of, of, of Halby and others in that organization. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if they go down that route um, in terms of a, a, a team that they want to sort of raid from and Halby, if they want to go heavy analytics, could be uh, the person there. Um other names, you know, I could go down this list and hopefully you'll check out some of the other names, but I want to bring up a couple that don't get discussed as much. Uh, one is Dawn Aponte. She is the chief administration administrator of football operations for the league, as in the NFL headquarters, her bosses, Roger Goodell, like that whole thing, right? Um, in her job, she hears, she talks to all the teams all the time 
about whatever various issues they have um, from an operation standpoint. Something got screwed up in a game. She's the one talking. So in the story, I list various connections uh, for people, of potential other hires, head coach or some other spots. Like, like for Peters, Steve Wilkes, the 49ers defensive coordinator. Bobby Slowick, the Texans offensive coordinator working with C.J. Stroud, who was in San Francisco last year, etc. For for a Ponzi, I just wrote the entire league because she talks to power players at every organization all the time. And I bring this up because I, I bring her up also because in talking to people around the league, her name came up. Uh, I talked to people in the league office. Uh, I've heard nothing but good things about her. I uh, I spoke to one current GM. He says, quote, why a team has not hired Donna Ponte makes zero sense to me. She is incredible. Now, she has not just been some numbers cruncher for the league office. She was a salary cap analyst for the Jets way back in the 90s. She eventually held high-ranking operations jobs with the Browns and Dolphins before moving back to uh, before moving to the league office, if Washington were to go with a president of football ops, so think of it like a, I guess like a triangle to a degree, president of football ops would sort of oversee everything, but then you would probably, my assumption would be you would have a talent evaluator, the GM role, and then the coach, and, you know, the, uh, with the with the president of ops kind of overseeing all of it. So, I think that's conceivable as well, depending on how Harris wants to navigate. And Aponte wouldn't be the only person I could see for that role, but I think she's somebody who would make uh, a lot of sense or could be pretty intriguing for that type of role. Uh, whether people see her in that way or whether she wa- or you know, whether teams see her that way or whether she'd want to leave the office, that is unclear. But I do sense that people think she would be a very interesting hire, as I mentioned, this one GM as well. Um, and then, you know, we, we again, I mentioned at the top, the Ravens, the Eagles, you can maybe point to the Niners, um, different teams who are just consistently, you know, even if they have a mid- mediocre years, they're consistently good with their process, how they build the team, they're, they're getting the team in a certain mindset. We don't typically talk about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in this regard. And I think we should. You know, as I wrote my story, Tom Brady went to Tampa Bay and they won the Super Bowl. And Tom Brady won a seventh and only further cemented his GOAT status and all kudos to him. But what I think gets lost in that is that he, not being a fool, wasn't looking for a, a, a rebuild team or a mediocre team. He wanted a team that was ready to go, but they just needed him. And he chose the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a team that has historically had the worst all-time record in league history. But that's not the same team we're talking about now. I know they just had a bad loss this past Sunday to the Saints. But in terms of the last several years, they've been in the mix. They obviously won the Super Bowl with Brady. They were in the playoffs the next year. Starting that next year, that year they won, that, that year after the Super Bowl, they won the NFC South. Brady retired. They've still continued to win the NFC South. And they are one game away from making it a three-peat this year. And they have done it this year, despite having $75 million in dead cap charges, because they obviously, you know, kept pushing money down the line when they had uh, Brady. Well, one of the people there who's helped that happen is GM Jason Light, 
But then there's his assistant GM, John Spitek. And Spitek is one of those guys who I feel like, to me, gets a little bit lost in in the conversation here. He's interviewed for jobs previously. He was a finalist in Pittsburgh. Uh, But I, I, I think that's something to keep an eye on. And if it were to be him, you know, if Washington wants an offensive minded head coach, everybody points to Ben Johnson with the Lions. But there's only one of him, and there's a bunch of teams that will be interested. After that, the names get a little bit more unclear if you want offense. But Dave Canales, who is the offensive coordinator with Tampa, he was the QB coach in Seattle with Russell Wilson. He helped Geno Smith uh, last year. Uh, Dave Canales has done some really good things with Baker Mayfield this year. I think that could be an interesting dynamic. Uh, It's a little too simplistic to just always match up two people from the same organization. But nonetheless, it's oftentimes all we have to work with. So I would say John Spitek is another name that feels like it's been under the radar. And like I said, there's a whole bunch of other people in here that I discuss at some length. Uh, so check it out on The Athletic for more details. I will have the same version of this for coaches coming up later in the week. All right, so so there is that. Uh, as far as the, the team this week, you know, they placed a bunch of players on injured reserve the other day. Charles Leno, Tyler Larson. Percy Butler. Butler has a wrist injury that would not be neat, worthy of going to the IR, but it'll probably keep him out uh, the last two games, you know, including yesterday. So they just decided to move forward and uh, put him on IR. It won't surprise me if others either land on IR or just simply don't play in the last game. Kendall Fuller did not play Sunday with a knee. He has been uh, limited in practice for several weeks. He's been kind of battling a knee issue for a while. Uh, so I don't know that he plays against the Cowboys and therefore maybe could just go to IR. Uh, I think Brian Robinson had a really good game in his return from his injury. I, I kind of wish they had fed him a bit more in terms of taking pressure off of Sam Howe and, you know, trying to keep up with the 49ers, slow them down with the run game. But I thought he looked good in his return. Uh, Christian Holmes, uh, he was one of the young defensive backs thrust into action because they had a bunch of players out, as I said. Uh, he had a really nice pass breakup earlier in the game. I thought Holmes and Forbes did some good things in coverage, despite being shorthanded. Washington's defense was not bad yesterday. They're just outmatched. Um, but then Holmes went down with a concussion. It was kind of a scary moment. You probably saw it on TV. He was after a, a play, happened towards the corner of the end zone. Not any crazy contact or anything. He got up, started walking back towards the play, it looked like. Trent Williams is there, and all of a sudden, Holmes starts to just collapse. Trent Williams grabs him, but um, Holmes goes to the ground, and he's down for a few minutes. The training staff came out. Eventually, he walked off the field on his own, was then carted to the locker room, later told he'll be in the concussion protocol program. Initial test didn't show anything abnormal, so hopefully he's okay. Don't know what this means for him the remainder uh, of the season, but hopefully he is okay. Um Ron Rivera speaks on Tuesday to the media, then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. We're back to the normal schedule for one more time this season. So we'll have plenty to discuss later this week as well. All right, um, enough of me. Well, enough of only me, I should say, because right now my conversation with Michael Phillips of the Rich. Uh, well, he's not with the Richmond Times Dispatch. Michael Phillips uh, with nine ten, the fan in Richmond, as well as the Washington Times. We'll do that right now here on the Standard Room Only Podcast. 
All right, as promised, uh, joining me here from uh, this is the uh, we happen to be in the uh, I can't call it a box. I don't mean a box like a like a like a fancy box. It's like where coaches hang out. This is where the 49ers executives, including one Adam Peters, were watching the uh, the 49ers beat the Commanders. Uh, but here with me, f- f- who cares about a potential GM here? We have Michael Phillips. Uh, from... Not a potential GM. I just wanted to, I want to take my name out of the running. I think it would be disrespectful of the other candidates at this time to continue to allow that to perpetuate. So I just want to make it very clear, I am not the next general manager of the Washington Commanders. Uh, I, I wish the best to those who are in the running. Well, for what it's worth, my hat's in the ring. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm not anticipating a call, but I'm willing. I'm more than willing to listen. I don't, um, you know, I've got to get these mock drafts, it's got to pay off or something. Uh, All right, uh, so we just watched another loss, 27-10 to the Niners, and yet it's another week in which the loss is not the top story because the top story is second week in a row they've gotten significant help in the case of uh, the NFL draft order. The Cardinals upset the Eagles, which means Washington, Arizona, and New England are tied at 4-12, and but Washington and New England – have the strength of schedule uh, over Cardinals. It's to the point, as Michael's is showing me, Washington was has the number two pick, except New England is flip-flopping depending on the results. They are basically have the same strength of schedule. They may end up with number three next week. I don't believe they can do any worse than four with a win against Dallas. But you know what? This has been a lost season, but if this is what it's going to – if this is how it ends going into a new era – it's not a bad way to go. I, I ran the numbers earlier this week. If all the favorites win in week 18, the Patriots have the tiebreaker over the Commanders. I asked you, football historian Ben Standing and potential Commanders GM candidate, when was the last time all the favorites won in a week 18? Uh, that, that, that has to have been decades, if ever, that week 18 is the least predictable week of the entire football schedule. I mean, this is where I say Sammy Ball was playing or something? Yeah, I mean, exactly. I don't have the answer for you. I'm, it's probably never happened. So my math is not worth jack right now, um, just to be clear. Um, but I think the Patriots have a slight edge. Would love for them to just take care of business against the Jets. Uh, and then these guys can lose and, and can just get the number two organically. But yeah, right? Like, even if it's three... Um, there are three good quarterbacks out there, right? Marvin Harrison's out there and Joel's out there. All these guys that, like, you get really excited about bringing into your franchise, right? And that's that's what everybody's hanging their hat on right now. And I, I think that's what's going to drive the excitement this offseason. You're going to have a new coach, new GM, and you're going to have a really high draft pick that's going to drive a lot of excitement for people. Um, we know better than anybody High draft picks don't become stars automatically. Including the guy who was the last time they had the number two pick was literally here today in Chase Young. I, really? Because I missed him out there. Did he do anything? <laughs> I'm. I, other than the times I purposely watched him, yeah. I didn't recall seeing much. He, he had one tackle on the final uh, game game sheet. Um, but I, I'm not here to cast shade at Chase Young. He's a nice young man who's put in a bad situation. Right. I wish him the best in the future, of course. Um, but no, you, you get a you get a high draft pick. That's the excitement. That's what's driving this. You mentioned possible GM candidate in the building today. You can get excited about that. Somebody's got you know somebody competent's going to be running this place. And I think we all see this isn't a one year fix. But I think next year could bring a lot of excitement with with a fight. You think about number two and everything you can do with that pick, um, including trade down. You can boo me if you want, but including trade down. Um, but you're going to get a player who you can really build around and be excited about. Let, let me lay something out here. 
let's just go through this, okay? Here's how the season has unfolded. They began in January announcing, basically, they're going to start a fifth-round pick from the year prior with one career start. That was step one. Then they start the season 2-0, and promptly then have now lost 12 of 14. In between, they traded away two of their marquee players, obviously Montez Sweat and Chase Young, marquee names at least, uh, to um, for, for future draft picks. Yep. And then they have just continually the, the they've accelerated the losing this now a seven game losing streak right could you have scripted the process better <laughs> if josh harris had told hollywood here's what i want to do they basically have processed the yeah. season without it being called that there was no labels it just this is what happened and it is and now they're in a position to get but again, no less than four, but like at possibly two in a year in which there are quarterbacks, which is the equivalent for the NBA, was of course Josh Harrison with the Sixers. It's a quarterbacks are equal to the NBA best players. Yeah. It is exactly the process, except they just, we didn't call it that because it kind of came out of nowhere. Not only that, because they won the first two games, it snuck up. We didn't yeah. notice how bad they were until the Bears game, right? Because because the game before the Bears game was the Eagles loss. They looked they looked great in the Eagles loss. Like that Bears game was the first glimpse of like, oh shoot, this is the, a bad team. The Bills game in terms of the sacks and the score sure, was a nightmare. Bills. Right, right. You're like, okay, it's you know they're not like, going to the Super Bowl. Today isn't proof. You know, this game isn't proof that the that this team's bad. The 49ers are great, but yeah. like you, when you lose to the Bears and yeah. the Giants, that's when you know. Yeah. So. You know, and that's the thing is like, I look, I get it. If you're a fan, this has been an absolute misery for this, uh, this season. And I will be honest with you, from a media perspective, none of us are getting emotional over the wins and losses. But it has been draining the last month or two in particular because it's we can all see the finish line, but it is so far away. It's a lot closer now. But if the if the end, but like going back to the beginning of all of this. This franchise had to get out of the NFL's middle. They have been stuck there, not just under Rivera, largely under Jay Gruden as well, except for the last year when they ended up when they bottomed out. And that is hell. You can't be in that middle, especially if you're a team that doesn't have a quarterback. You've got to get out. So they have achieved that. (laughs) Big time. Again, it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't the goal. And now, of course, we, as we all know, it's a new owner in town. The, uh, he, Josh Harris may not be good. He may be great. We'll find out. But he isn't the other guy. And the other guy held this thing back for 20 years. So to enter a new era, yeah. they're going to hire a new coach and a new front office. And they have possibly the number two pick. You, you, and $90 million in cap space, nine overall draft picks. You, you can't ask for a much better deal you know, from a starting over scenario than what they have right now. Completely agree. Love that thought. Um, I loved your article saturday in the athletic about where they go from here and, and kind of what that process entails because i i think right part of why the season's been so long for us has been we were ready to do that a month ago yeah like a month ago we sensed what you wanted you the fan wanted to hear about was who's going to be the next coach and who's going to be the next gm the problem is you can't make those phone calls in early november um because the other teams aren't ready to talk about it yet, and the league's not ready to talk about it, and the machinery hasn't fired up yet. Yeah. Uh, so it was almost like a like a first day of spring training moment when I clicked open your story Saturday, and I was like, ah, it's time. Yeah, <laughs> we can talk about it now, uh, and and we can we can honestly just 
who's the GM going to be, who's the coach going to be, who's the draft pick going to be, and just go full sprint at all those things that I think make people really happy to talk about. Yeah, I mean, I think you can tell if you've listened to my last several podcasts, there's way more pep in my step right right, right now. But again, it's not a matter, I'm not rooting for them to lose, or I don't, I'm never rooting for them to win either. It's just a matter of, you know, if it's going to happen, happen. I mean, like the worst thing I think that, you, obviously there'll be a lot of uh, Ron Rivera era obit talks over the next week or so that's been existing already. And like, what were the big keys to led to what's happened? And I definitely think one of them was, Winning that division in the first year with a 7-9 record instead of picking 10 or 11 where, you know, who knows, but you could have been in a position to get Justin Fields, Micah Parsons, Devontae Smith. They win the division, fall to 19, take Jamin Davis, but maybe more importantly, the expectations became something. They spiraled out the next year, and it's just been a roller coaster um no, Since. Knowing what we know about Ron's drafting, if they had drafted at 11, they probably would have taken Jamin Davis, <laughs> which is its own disaster to think about, right? right? Like, he was just, I mean, that in the Ron, what went wrong here, drafting is really high on that list. I, like, I don't know if it's your number one, but it, like, maybe coordinators is number one, ended up picking two guys who couldn't do the job and, like, fully trusting them. Uh, all right, let's think this out. My, my actual number one is probably you had the COVID year and the cancer year back-to-back, so Ron didn't get to do what Ron does best, which is develop relationships with these guys, which you can see. Like, when he left Carolina, it was like a family picnic. Like, everybody came out. Everybody paid their respects. Everybody's like, I love Ron Rivera. This is a great man. Um, and not that these players don't think that. They do, but you're not going to see the same outpouring. And obviously, he didn't go to a Super Bowl here. That's a factor. But he, he was he was kneecapped for two years right out of the gate. Um, but that's non-self-enforced, non-self-inflicted. But then self-inflicted is the coordinators and not moving on from Jack Del Rio fast enough and the draft picks and completely watching those every time he had the opportunity and standing at the podium and yelling, I watched the tape on Carson Wentz. Why you guys keep hating on me and signing William Jackson and then trading him to Pittsburgh for nothing and trading Trent Williams because you didn't want to show up and just give a guy a contract, even though he's one of the best left tackles in football. I can go on if you'd like me to go on, Ben. You can. You you didn't even get to this year where the draft and free agency, the worst combination in the four years and yes. one of the worst combinations over the last you know 20 or so years yeah. um for for sure part now look if there's no such thing as a fitting ending to, to what's happened here but what happened this week with the quarterbacks just oh my, oh my just it, you couldn't have like oh. scripted a more random you know it, it, we only needed the benny hill theme song <laughs> to, to, to play over the recap so of course Sam Howell's been struggling. He gets benched midweek. Jacoby Brissett is going to start. Okay, we get it. We move away. We're all discussing what about Sam Howell's future. Where do these things go? Friday, Brissett's on the injury report with hamstring tightness. He doesn't play today. Sam Howell's back out there starting. That's wacky. Then Howell's playing against the Niners. First half looked fine. Looked much more like the guy we saw earlier in the year. And then it, it 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 regressed again. He throws two interceptions in the second half. Only had I want to say like 70 yards, or about that, um, in the second half. And uh, basically this week was just a. I, I made the joke earlier. It was like Bobby Ewing came out of the shower at 
other than David Aldridge, nobody else around me understood the the reference to the dream sequence in the TV show Dallas that erased an entire season and made it like it didn't happen, <laughs> which is basically what this week was. Yes. Um, other than the fact that like it ended That's with good. them getting the number, uh, the potentially the number two pick. Uh, what did you make of how like does it, I don't know does anything happen today or where I guess where you where are you in general yeah. with the how situation? Right. So you play a full sixty minutes because at halftime my thought was like. I don't know, maybe you spin this like this was a good thing for him. He didn't have the game plan. He's not thinking. He's just doing. Um, but then it really unraveled in the second half. Um, I'm not Mr. Film Guy. We'll leave that to the, to the Mr. Film Guys. But it, it sure looked like the Niners were disguising a lot more in the second half, um, a lot more zone to man, kind of showing one, playing the other. And, and our guy just couldn't couldn't run the numbers on that, and, and, and it really bit him. Um, which is not to say I'll go back and watch the tape. We may burn the tape and uh, choose to keep moving uh, off of this. Uh, certainly wouldn't blame anybody who makes that decision. Um, but, yeah, it's, look, I'm keeping Hal on the roster next year. He's cheap. Um, everybody here looks worse than they are right now. Um, that's not a Sam Howell statement. That's an everybody statement. Like, why would you resign Kendall Fuller? Why wouldn't you trade Deron Payne? Like, because you know, you know they are good football players. They, and they, they are talented football players, right? Like, trade everybody. Like, you know they're not all bad. They're in the NFL, and there are actual good players. Sam Howell's on a cheap rookie contract. I'm letting him ride, uh, even as my number three. Uh, if the new coach has a veteran guy he wants to bring in, I'm keeping him on the roster. I'm keeping three. Let's see what he's got. See what he's got with the new regime. That said, I have fully come off of my position that Sam Howell should be considered as the starter going into next year. I just think that ship has sailed over the last few weeks. Um, and not just like, you know, not just this game with the two interceptions late, but even the their most success today was when Brian Robinson was, was doing a healthy dose of running, which if you want a game manager quarterback, like just sign one and keep it moving. That's not what we're after here. Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, at a minimum, it, it's all... I guess, to be honest, for me, it's almost a little hard to gauge what I think Sam Howe is right now because these last few weeks have been such a mess. And, you know, it is a lot about, you know, where he's at as a quarterback. Um, he's leading the league in interceptions. A lot of the stats are not, you know, early on it was like, wow, look how much he's throwing it. And there were a lot of yards accordingly. And now everything is kind of caught up to him. But at the same point, you need backup quarterbacks in this league. You can't tell me from what we've seen he is the guy that, like, you know, if you had to have a spot start or – um, you know, the, an injury, you have to come in. He could be that guy. So there's something there that whoever is the next regime is going to have to just sort through that and figure it out and then go from there. But, you know, as they continue to creep up the board, I mean, we talk about how this thing was like kind of stealth tanking or, you know, yeah. process. The New England game, which doesn't feel like, well, again, on the one hand, it feels like it was 100 years ago, but <laughs> simultaneously it doesn't. They win that game. I know New England's not good, but Sam Howell did some good stuff, and that was a point where it's like, okay, I think he's shown enough to say, if you want to go into the season with him and and yeah, you know, I agree. Do well, but but then, but at that point, they were what four and five, and that's the thing. It is goes so crazy. It's impossible now to figure out unless you just don't like the quarterbacks. You don't think Caleb Williams or Drake May or Jaden Thomas or, or Jaden Daniels are that interesting. Then I don't know how you can't take one because this is this is what this league is all about. You've got to have the quarterback, and, and sure the Niners have Brock Purdy, who was the literal last pick of the draft. If you want to go live on that plan, that you can. I mean, I think you should draft a quarterback almost every year on day three. Agreed. But at the same time, um, but but at the same time, 
you can't you can't count on that. If Kyle Shanahan's your coach, maybe that's a different conversation. Um, well, you can win a Super Bowl without an elite quarterback. We have plenty of examples on that. But why would you? <laughs> if, if you, by necessity, have to do that in year four or year five, you have to by necessity. But why would you start from there? That'd be crazy. Right. No, 100%. And this is the organization that won, you know, three three Super Bowls with three different quarterbacks and yeah. Mark Rippon's a six-round pick and all you that. Do it. But that was a long time ago in a non-salary cap era, and the world has changed a lot. Uh, watch Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy... Look, I don't want to diminish Brock Purdy, but if he if he was if he had been named the MVP, it would have been an absolute disrespect to the award because that's not he's not the MVP. Uh, and we saw him today. He, what he is is incredibly smart, incredibly capable, runs the offense at a high level. The offense is the MVP, not Brock Purdy. A hundred percent. Um. All right. So l- l- last uh, sort of thing. So we were in the locker room after the game, and like, wow, I don't know. It was really, really weird. Now, I think some reporters peeled off and went to the Niners because you had obviously a lot of former Washington players in there. It was the quietest locker room I can recall other than, like, a team getting eliminated from the playoffs and they're just miserable. Like, they were – these guys are – Look, I think they played hard. I think the defense, considering yeah. how many pieces they're missing, yeah. I thought the first half in particular, they were hitting. Like, they, yeah. they, they were going toe-to-toe with the Niners. And in San Francisco, they're like, okay, enough of this, and, and moved on. And, you know, Sam Howell, like I said, I thought they had a good first half, relatively speaking. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they are – I think also guys were getting out of there quick because it's New Year's Eve, yeah. as we should do. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, it was just a weird vibe in there, and it's going to be interesting to see what it's like. Uh, next week as, as, as well. Yeah. I, I, all right. I'm paid to be a journalist and have thoughts and ask questions and get information. Um, I don't want this to sound jaded because I promise, I just wanted to say, I promise I'm not jaded. I'm, I'm just really happy to be here watching football and doing this for a living. And I think you guys who have heard my interviews know I get really excited when I talk about this stuff and I love talking about this stuff and I'm super excited to spend the off season with y'all. Um, it's just, so it's not coming from there. I was, I'm in that locker room, and I'm looking around and I say, I have no questions. I don't have any questions that I have of any players about what happened today. Um, uh, other than, right, like, there's, like, the perfunctory, like, Brian, talk about being awesome today. Terry, talk about finally getting the ball thrown your way. That must be nice. But, like, normally, the arc of the season is we go in, and, and we report the quotes from the locker room. Uh, and, and the interesting thing, but a lot of what we do in the locker room is we learn about things and we use that in our reporting and we learn about the, um, it's tough when you walk around the room and you say, and we build relationships with these guys, you walk around the room and you just like, none of these people will be here next year. And I don't care about what happened today on the field at all. And, and I don't think I'm the only one. That's, that's the only reason I'm willing to say it that bluntly. Cause I know how that sounds, but I promise you, like, I love football. I love covering this. I just, I'm in that room and I, I don't have any questions for anybody. Let's get this over with so the fun part can start. Uh, I will back you up. <laughs> uh, I was uh, to type, I was finishing up something I had to send in to my uh, editor while I was in the locker room. And everybody went to Terry McLaurin's locker. He's in like the sort of the far corner of where we walk in. And I'm sort of standing in the middle and John Allen is walking past me. And I said, hey, have you already talked? He's like, nah, just leaving. You know, what do you got? And that's when I had the moment that you had. <laughs> yeah. And I said, John, I'm going to be super honest with you. I don't have anything I really want to ask you. So I, you know, I came up with a couple of quick things. And, and I was like, I don't know what's it like to be out there when you guys are just in this spot. He's like, oh, 
I was out there having fun. I don't know about anybody else, but you know. And then I asked him about the quarterback situation, and he was like, "I'm just doing my job, man. I don't really care yeah. at this point." And yeah. and it's the thing. It's like I said, the, John Allen on Payne actually thought had one of their better games today. It looked sure. like. Um, but yeah, it is just what a slog here to the finish line, and, and you know you got to feel bad. They're the ones who are out there getting getting hit, losing the games, yeah. having to answer the questions as what's going wrong. Uh, you're gonna answer or talk about what's been going wrong uh, this week on the radio and writing for the uh, Washington Times. Tell everybody what they need to know about uh, what you got going on this week. Yeah, shows back Tuesday. MP on the mic, nine ten. The fan down in Richmond, ten to noon every day. Uh, social media, Michael P. In RVA, always representing for Richmond, Virginia. Uh, Richmond's own Cleveland Farrell had a sack today for the San Francisco 49ers. Went over and uh, did bits with him after the game, uh, which was a nice nice change of pace uh, from being in losing locker rooms. Uh, of course, writing for the Washington Times. And uh, I think the only remaining question here, right, is when will it happen, right? And will, will, when will the, the actual firing happen? When will the game happen? You know, all those things uh, around it. But, um, you know, does it, you know, how, how is he received? I think it'll all be Cowboys fans here Sunday. So they'll probably be chanting four more years. I don't know. Um, but but I next Monday, uh, not not like day after this game Monday, day after the Cowboys game Monday, we're going to start having fun, Ben. Get ready. It's going to be an, <laughs> it's gonna be a, a, an onslaught for sure. By the way, fo- uh, follow Michael on Twitter because he's going to be all on top of when Washington plays on Sunday because that is up in the air because they're playing Dallas and yeah. Dow, Dallas and Philly. It, what, what time is that game going to be? We don't know. Yeah. Michael is uh, – this is one of his things. I do the mock drafts. My, Michael does the mock schedules. <laughs> true. Uh, my guy, appreciate it as always. Great times. All right, many thanks to – Michael Phillips for his time. Thanks to everyone here for checking out the podcast. And of course, thanks for checking out The Athletic. Have a great new year. 2024 is here. It has been a journey. It has been a grind. I can't promise that there'll be definitively better days ahead, but the opportunity for better days ahead with this organization, I think, is extremely more plausible than it's been in the last, I don't even know how long, you know, maybe not the entirety of the Snyder era, but pretty good. That is it for now. Ben Standing signing off.